Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. I was good until that last little tag. God coming after me. I was good right up till we started singing, God coming after me. You with me? My, my. You know, I, I don't know what y'all came through the door with this morning. But if it's okay, I'm going to give you the end in the beginning. I'm going to go ahead and give you the end up front. And that is, whatever you came through the door with this morning, God is so good that he can restore the joy in your heart. Whatever you came through the door with this morning, he can give you a purpose for your life. He can give you a hope that will sustain you through whatever you face. You with me? Look, whatever you came through the door with this morning, God is good. He is perfect in power. And you didn't just wander in here. He's coming after you. He's coming after you this morning. Amen. He's coming after me. God is good. God is wise. God is in control. But look, is it not hard sometimes to not to question that? Isn't it hard sometimes not to question? God, after the week I've been through, are you good? God, after what's been done to me, are you wise? God, after the challenges that I face and all the crazy going on around me, are you really in control or have you taken your hand off the wheel? You know, nowadays, especially these last few years, it is easy to be a skeptic, is it not? It is easy to doubt. It is easy to question, and that's okay. It is easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be burned out. It's easy to try to find the easy way. It doesn't seem like that exists anymore, right? It is easy to become cynical. (laughs) I probably shouldn't do this, but since I'm veering off the notes anyway. (laughs) How many people think cynicism is a spiritual gift? (laughs) Come on, help me out now. Don't leave me. You know, in preparing the message today, I heard this phrase, and I think it's true. And my wife's been trying to tell me this for years. I've been trying to convince her that cynicism is a spiritual gift. And it comes in handy, especially in today's world. But in preparing for this message, I I, I think... I think cynicism is more spiritual warfare than it is spiritual gift. Because it begins to take, our skepticism, our doubt, our questioning, our cynicism begins to take us places we don't want to go. And we begin to lose our hope. We begin to lose our sense of purpose. And we begin to lose our joy. 
And then the devil wins, we lose, and we're just part of the mess. And nobody can tell the difference. Well, I want to look at Malachi today in chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Just three verses. And all the three verses are is complaining, questioning. Now, I, listen, I don't know why Pastor Philip keeps giving me the verses of complaint. <laughs> my wife would probably say it's God's perfect plan <laughs> to straighten my cynicism out, right? But all we have today, listen, all we have today is three verses, 13 through 15, of complaints and questioning God. Malachi chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a couple of people that are going to walk down. If you, if you want a Bible to look at this morning, raise your hand. They're going to hand it to you as they come down. If you don't have a Bible at home, put your name in that one and take it home with you. But Malachi chapter 3 is the last book of the Old Testament. Matthew, turn left. Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Here we go. Last time I spoke a couple of weeks ago, it was verses of complaint, and now we're back here again with the people in Malachi with the verses of complaint. And so what I'm going to do is just read and do some just short comments on these three verses, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to get into it, right? Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. It says, you have, this is God speaking to the people. It's God speaking to the people. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. You know, the first sign of skepticism, of doubting, of questioning is what we think or say about God. I know I'm going down that slippery slope. He says, you have said terrible things about me, terrible things, harsh things. It's like the people of God are sitting in judgment on God, evaluating his performance, critiquing how he's doing business. Almost as if they're saying, God, if you'd put me in charge, I would do better. And then he says, but you say, you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? Isn't it interesting how we can disguise our complaints about God as sarcasm or cynicism or false humility, humility or comparing ourselves to others or acting like we got a target on our back and God's just out to get us? We can kind of disguise this stuff. As we complain about God, verse 14, it says, you have said, what's the use of serving God? And that's kind of our theme today. What's the use? What's the use of serving God? What's the use of following and serving God? I mean, they're saying it's futile. It's worthless. It's a waste of time. There's no return on investment. What's the use of serving God? What have we gained What's our reward? What's our benefit? What's our profit? By obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins. So we're obeying his commands. We're denying ourselves, trying to get his attention, and yet we're getting nothing. Last verse, verse 15. So if we're, hey, listen, look at the process here, verse 15. So they say, well, if we're not getting anything in return, for following and serving God, we're, we have now decided that from now on, verse 15, from now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. 
Those who defy God, those who run their own lives, they're the ones that have it best. For those who do evil get rich. Those who do evil are celebrated and lifted up. Is this not a word for today or what? Are you with me? Those who defy God are celebrated in culture and lifted up and they get rich. And those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Is God paying any attention at all? We get disappointed because we serve God and we expect him to go to work for us. And then it just doesn't seem like he is. What's the use of serving God? Let's pray together. Father, we need your encouragement. For some of us, we need to reclaim our joy this morning. For some of us, we need to see clearly that there's a purpose for our life today that can still be fulfilled. For some of us, we need our hope renewed. Oh, Jesus, we need you. Spirit of God, we submit this time to you. We need you to help us to see, to help us to hear, to help us to know you. We need you desperately in these moments to find our joy, our purpose, our hope grounded in you. We trust you for that, even in these minutes that we share together now. In your name we pray. Amen. Look, we look at these three verses, Malachi 3, 13 through 15, and there's one of three things going on here, okay? Follow with me real quick, and I'm going to give you just a few things. There's one of three things going on here. First, the people in Malachi were not sincerely serving and worshiping and following God. Therefore, they weren't knowing God's blessings. They weren't really following God, so they weren't knowing God's blessings, right? You with me? And we saw that in chapter 1. It says they're bringing half-hearted offerings. They're doing half-hearted worship. Chapter two, we saw that they're divorcing their wives and marrying wives of their enemies. And so we saw that that was the case. Some of them weren't really serving God, so they weren't knowing the blessings of God, and they began to complain. The second thing that could be going on is this. Some of them were sincerely following God. Follow me. Some of them were sincerely following God, but they weren't getting in return what they expected. They wanted something different. Number three, third option is it's useless to serve God. It's just useless. It's futile. It's useless to serve or follow God. So either I'm not really following God, so I'm not really knowing and experiencing him and his blessings, or I am really seeking to follow God, and I'm not getting something that I expected or want, or it's just useless to follow God. Let's look at those three things very quickly here together. Take the first question. The first question in verse 14, first part of verse 14, it says, what's the use of serving or following God? What's the use? I'm going to tell you a story 
my, when my son got married, recently I saw a video of his wedding. I don't know where I saw it. I saw a clip somewhere, maybe on my wife's phone or something, but I haven't thought about it in a long time. But when my son got married several years ago, I was in the wedding. I was standing here. He was standing in one of the aisles over here waiting for, for, his, for his fiance, Jessica, to come through the rear doors. And they got married at this beautiful downtown church that, that they both attended and worked at. And, and it kind of sloped down, and there were two side aisles. And in the back, there were two huge doors downtown Greenville. And so he's standing over here in the side aisle and he's waiting for Jessica to come through the doors. And, and, he, and he's a little nervous. You could tell he's kind of standing here a little nervous. And, 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 and that moment came, right? That moment came and those doors swung open. And kid you not, this sounds dramatic. Sounds a little dramatic, but I'm not a dramatic guy. So the doors swing open and light begins flooding through like these 14-foot doors on the back of the building. And Jessica is standing in the middle of those doors in her wedding gown, and light is streaming through. And I look over at my son, Brandon, and he's over there in the side aisle, and he kind of goes like this, oh. I said, and then he, goes, he, takes a, he takes a peek back up. He's like, oh. And he takes a peek back up, and he goes down again. I'm like, man, we are going to have to scrape this boy off the floor. Like, this wedding ain't happening right now. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be tomorrow, right? I mean, he, every time he would take, every time he'd take a glance, he'd be like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Listen, at that moment, he was overwhelmed with joy and adoration, was he not, right? His total focus was right there. Listen, what God wanted from the people in Malachi was this. He wanted them to want him. He wanted them to find their joy in him completely. And what they were saying in this verse basically is saying, God, you're not enough. You're not enough to give me the joy that I want. What does God want? He, he wanted the people in Malachi to want him the most, to find their complete joy in them. Listen, we asked the question, what is the use of serving God? You get God. Let me say it again. When you feel like sometimes you're losing your joy and your hope and your purpose in life, and you ask the question, what is the use of following serving God? What is the answer? You get God. I mean, Paul is sitting in prison writing the book of Philippians in the New Testament of the Bible, and he's in chains, and any moment his executioner can come in. And he wrote the book of Philippians is basically the book of joy. You know, my joy is in him. And in one of the verses he says, hey, to live is Christ, it is so awesome. And to die is Christ, it is so awesome. Toss up a coin, I don't care. My joy is rooted in him. What's the use of serving God? You get God. Now, listen, one thing I'll say about that is that, look, before we're too hard, I, I heard him in a message earlier in the week. It reminded me of this. Before we're too hard on the people in Malachi, listen. Think with me for just a second. Before we're too hard on the people in Malachi, they were looking forward to Jesus. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming. They were looking forward to the new covenant. They were looking forward to a relationship with Jesus. They were just trusting Yahweh to take care of them now and for eternity. 
And then I think about the verse in Hebrews, the cloud of witnesses, such a great cloud of witnesses. It's almost like, listen, I don't know if this is a fact or not, but it's almost like there's some of the people that these verses are talking about in Malachi who are now a cloud of witnesses who are watching us and saying, you have Jesus, you have the spirit in you, reminding you that your joy is in him and your joy is complete in him and the Holy Spirit lives in you. What are you doing with what you've got? What use is there to serve God? Holy kid, God. There was someone who wasn't a Christian. I was reading a conversation this week. Someone who wasn't following Jesus, wasn't a Christian, who was having a conversation with someone who was. And, and they said this. They, they said, you know what? If it's true, what you're telling me, if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, that is the wildest thing I've ever heard. And I don't know how Christians would ever get over it. <laughs> Lord God, may we never get over it. And yet, probably shouldn't say this, but I'll stick it in real quick anyway. And yet, so many people in, in, around us claim the name of Christ, but Christ is not formed in them. How do you know? Because their identity is more defined about the people, by the people they're mad at than by the Jesus that is in them and the joy he brings them. Right. We can't get over it, people. We got to pray and we got to encourage each other so that we don't get over it. That he has risen from the dead. That our joy is complete in him and that we'll see him someday no matter what this earth brings. Amen? Let me just, before we go to the second thing, let me just ask you this question. I'm going to give you just 30 seconds here. I'm going to ask you this question. Ask yourself right now, where did you find your greatest joy last week? Think back. Where did you find your greatest joy last week? In your kids? In your spouse? In your job? <clears throat> in getting a bill paid? All incredible things, but where did you find your greatest joy last week? Was it in Jesus? Mm. There's a joy that can sustain us, people. Number two, as we look at these complaints, number two, the second question they ask in the second part of, of verse 14 was this. What have we gained or what is our benefit or reward? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? What have we gained? What is our reward? What is our benefit from that? I mean, let's get practical for a minute. Let's just get real for one second. It is very difficult for us in this body of flesh, in this broken world, not to think in terms of gain, right? What am I getting out of it? 
God, I'm loving my spouse with your love, but I'm getting nothing in return. God, I'm being generous, like Pastor Philip talked about last week, right, with the tithe. I'm being generous, but all I see is the balance of my account going down. God, I'm taking risk to serve you in ways that other people are questioning me about, and I'm losing friends over it. What am I gaining here? God, I've been trying to dig out of this hole that I'm in and, and the right way, trying to do it the right way. And, and I look around and there's everyone around me is, 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 is doing it the wrong way and getting ahead. What am I gaining? What am I gaining, right? It is hard for us not to think in terms of gain. What am I getting out of it? But here's the thing. God's ways, God's kingdom, they are jolting. The ways of the kingdom, the ways of God, they will jolt us. They will disorient us. They will turn us upside down. Any, any Stranger Things fans here? Stranger Things, Netflix. There's only a few. Anyway, <clears throat> Stranger Things, is the whole story is about the upside down. There's this other world in the upside down, right? And for us, the way God works is upside down. But the way God works is right side up, and we're upside down. You with me? But here's the problem. Every breath I take in this broken world pulls me to the upside down, even though God's right side up. God's kingdom seems upside down. Blessed are the mourn. Blessed are, are, are those who are poor. Blessed are, listen, no, I don't want to be blessed that way. It seems upside down. But, but it's not saying, look at your calendar next year and figure out, hey, how, how can I be more poor? Or how can, I, how can I find a way to grieve more? Or how can I shed more tears? It's saying, listen, put your trust in God and lean on Him because His kingdom is going to shake every crutch you're leaning on until you find your joy and your purpose in God Himself. The kingdom just keeps shaking. Just keep shaking the things we lean on until our gain is him, until we find our purpose in him. Listen, here's how we function most of the time, myself included. Here's how we function many times. Our perception many times in terms of the purpose of God and our purpose in life is this. We follow and we serve God. That's our purpose. His purpose then is to write us the best story possible. He is to write for us, author for us, the best story possible. Many times the way we relate to God in terms of the purpose of life is this. We look at God as a ghostwriter who, if we agree to serve him, he is now our ghostwriter. And as a ghostwriter, his responsibility is to write me and my family and my church and my nation the best story we could ever have. It's not true. My story exists to display his glory. My story exists. The next breath I take, I take in order to be part of his bigger story. It's not that our stories don't matter. Every story in this room, no matter where it began, no matter where it is now, you were created to be part of a bigger story. 
You have a purpose that can never be taken away from you, no matter how broken this world is, because you were created to be in relationship with him and through that relationship to be part of his bigger story and display who he is to this world. Right? Listen, God's plan, his purpose for our lives has never changed. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, he rescued a people from slavery in Egypt so that he would have a people of his own possession who would grow in his character. And it says that he rescued them to be priests to the world so that they might put him on display. And then in the New Testament, in Peter, it says that Jesus came and rescued a people from sin to make them his own, to grow in his character so that they would be priests of the world and put him on display. And you have a purpose. I don't know what you came through the doors with today, but there is a joy to be had in Jesus and you have a purpose when you put your faith in him. And your purpose is to put him on display, right? I mean, this, as, 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 God is establishing his kingdom people. It is disorienting in some ways. You know, one of Jesus' parables that he told <clears throat> was this. He took the parable of a seed and, and, and he said, unless this goes in, and if you know anything about agriculture, farming, gardening, whatever, there's life in that seed, is there not? You wouldn't know it by looking at it. It's a seed, it looks dead. There's life packed in this little seed. But the only way that that life flourishes is if you put it in the ground and it dies. And that's the parable Jesus was telling. Listen, put a seed in the ground, it dies. And then this plant springs up. And then when he's doing the parable about the mustard seed, it wasn't only just a plant springs up, but from the smallest, smallest story, the smallest seed, a large plant springs up and gives shelter to the birds of the air. Now, who's the birds of the air? Getting a little off, 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 off my notes here. But who's the birds of the air? They were enemies of the seed. Look, here's your purpose. No matter how discouraged you get here at work, if you receive the grace of Jesus, you are automatically a distributor of the grace of Jesus. And that's your purpose this week. Your story exists in his bigger story to put him on display. As a seed, we go into the ground, life springs forth, and we put him on display. Everyone, even our enemies. This kingdom stuff is crazy. But, but God's saying, hey, the, the people in Malachi were like, what, what, do we, what do we gain? What do we get? What's our reward? Listen, you're a part of the plan of God. God keeps telling people in the Old Testament, you are here so that all nations will run to me by your character. That hadn't changed. Still true today. God's purpose never changes. You know, there's times that, that we really should not only be okay, but maybe even have a goal to appear foolish to the world. Listen, when's the last time your life raised questions from people around you? Why did you forgive your neighbor? That's weird. That's because we're in the upside down. That's why it's weird. It's actually right side up. Why do you give so much away? That's weird. Why do you still live in this neighborhood? 
I, you could go somewhere. That's weird. Why do you stay with your spouse? That's weird. Listen, God has a purpose for your life. And then lastly, look at verse 15. They said, what's the use? What do we gain? And then the last thing is a statement in verse 15. And that's where they've decided to call the arrogant blessed. Call the arrogant blessed. Why? Because if you look at this final statement, it look, if all that matters is the here and now, if all that matters is getting mine in the here and now, then why don't we just switch teams? I'm serious. Listen, nobody's ever thought about this. Come on. I mean, when everything is piling up and going wrong, come on now. If the arrogant are blessed, if, if, if they're just going after the now and it's working, why don't we just switch teams? I want you to look at one other passage this morning. Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. You might want to turn to it. In the New Testament, let's see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, G-E-P-C is the eighth, right? Eighth book of the New Testament. No, not the eighth book. I skipped a few. Anyway, I only skipped Acts and Romans. They're no big deal. The story of the church and the story of salvation. We can, we, that's okay. All right. I learned it. General Electric Power Company, G-E-P-C, Colossians. I want you to look at this verse. Look at it with me. Because that's the only way this is going to make, uh, look, just look at it with me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. We're going to end with this. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, he says this. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving thanks for these people. Why? In verse 4. We give thanks because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He's like, you have a strong, resilient, deep faith in Christ Jesus. He also gives thanks, look, and your love for all of God's people. So it says, we give thanks for this deep faith, resilient, sustaining faith you have in Jesus. And for your love for all God's people, we can see your sacrificial love for one another as you live in community with each other. And then in verse 5, it says, where does it come from? Which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation or this hope ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Now listen, I was looking at this verse two weeks ago. And, and I've read that verse, I don't know how many times. But I'm really looking at the verse closely two weeks ago. And in my mind, so many times I read it and I'm like, okay, it would make sense that Paul would say that I am thankful for how you love one another and for the hope that you have in heaven that comes from your faith in Jesus. That makes sense. You with me? Because of your faith in Jesus, I'm thankful that you love each other and you have a hope in heaven someday. That would make sense. That's not what it says, people. It says, listen, I am thankful for this visible, resilient, durable, dependent faith in a tough world and for your love one another, which come from what? which come from your hope in heaven. Come on now. Listen, let me ask you, let me, let me do it this way. How many of us last week 
intentionally stopped and thought about heaven? Yep. And yet that's where our hope is grounded. They're like, hey, in in verse 15 of Malachi 3, they're like, hey, if this is all there is, let's just switch team. It's not all there is. The hope that sustains us is the hope of heaven. The hope of being with Jesus face to face for eternity. Are you with me? Listen, we work so hard and we have to. I get it. We work so hard making this world our home that we never stop to think about our hope in heaven. And so we lose hope and we lose our joy and we lose our purpose and we just join the other team. I was just in here thinking. I'm not sitting, I'm standing. I was just standing here thinking. Three years ago, three years ago, I had a, M, M, I don't even know what they call it, MPMRI. It was a weird MRI. This is one of those bad MRIs. MPMRI, whatever that is. I know this prep and all this stuff. Get the report back and they say, hey, you have three lesions on your prostate. Two of them are grade five, which is as bad as you can get. Now, in the, in the, this is at the height of COVID, 2020. It took three months of waiting to get an appointment with the biopsy robot at MUSC. Three months. And then I show up, they start, they get me prepped, they put a line in, and then the doctor comes in and says, hey, the biopsy robot is broken. I waited almost another month, and then we did the biopsy in, in, the, in his office. Guys, don't ever do that. No, I'm just saying, just no. Now, it turns out all the biopsies came out negative, and it was just a bad MRI. But listen... Listen, in the months I was waiting, the presence of Jesus was more real than any time. My desire to be with him was more than any time. My worship was richer because I stopped to think for half a second. My hope's not here. My hope is there. I was on the COVID floor at MUSC. Last October, for a week or more, after losing consciousness several times and taking ambulance rods, and they finally figured out what had happened. But there was one night in particular, I was in so much pain. I'm like, I don't know if tomorrow's happening or not. And the worship was sweet, and the time with Jesus was sweet. And I sensed his presence. I think about uh, my mother-in-law, who passed away last year. She was already kind of out of it. She's very weak. But the Saturday before the Wednesday that she passed away, I remember Joy, my wife, was on the phone with her, and they were talking, and she got off the phone, and she said, and I heard her on the phone. She was like, so you were praying? And then they continued the conversation. Joy got off the phone, and she said, I was talking to my mom. She she told me about this whole conversation and time that she had spent with Jesus. And I asked her if she was praying, and she said, no, he was here. 
She passed away shortly after that. Look, there is a joy in Jesus. There is a purpose in life when we put our faith in him to display his story. And there is a hope that can sustain us if we'll stop long enough to think about it. And if we don't, then we will ask the question, what uses it to serve God? Let me pray for us. We're going to actually prepare for communion. Let me pray first. Father, Father, you know something about glory that we don't. You know something about our hope that we don't, and it's good. Father, the world will never understand that for us, your presence is our greatest joy, our greatest hope. Nothing on this earth. Father, for so many of us, we have settled in our heart. We've asked the question, what use is it to serve you, to follow you? And Father, you've proved over and over again that that there, there is so much reward and the reward is you. And yet, Father, in this world, we have to settle that in our heart over and over again. It's not just a one-time thing. Yes, there is reward to following and serve. It is something we have to settle every day sometimes. Father, we love you. I pray for every person in these seats. Restore the joy that is in you. Remind each person of their purpose in your story. And oh, help us to pause and keep our hope in you. To see our hope in you that is ours. When we're tempted to switch sides, <laughs> remind us of our joy, our purpose, our hope that is in you. We need you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. We're going to share communion together. And if we would, just go ahead and come down with the elements. And then while partaking, we can sing I can't think of a better time you know we started out in Malachi 3 this morning started out in Malachi 3 just three verses of complaints but you know it's okay to question sometimes because your question can lead back to the answer. Your question can lead back to what you already know. So as if you're a believer, if you've put your faith in Christ, if you have said at one point in your life, you know what? I, I have commit to follow and serve you for you. Ask him for the forgiveness of your sins. Then we invite you to participate in communion this morning. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians, I think, uh, chapter 15, verse 9, that says, if our hope is only for this world, then we are most of all to be pitied. <laughs> right? My wife had told me this week in preparing for this message, when she was reading the verses, she said, you know, one of the things I wrote in my journal is, why would I be jealous or begrudge evil people from getting rich? That's all they're going to have. 
They got theirs and it's gone. Listen, if you've ever put your faith in Jesus Christ, what we're celebrating is the fact that we have a hope in heaven and we will be with him forever. Because of his broken body and his shed blood. That he gave for the forgiveness of our sin. Let me give you just a moment and then we're going to partake of these elements and worship together. Just bow your heads and take a moment. Think about what we talked about today. Your joy, your purpose, your hope. And the night before Jesus died, he, he looked at his disciples. All their lives had been a mess, just like ours. But he loved them. He washed their feet. And knowing that he was going to die the next day, he looked at them and he said, take this bread and partake. This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And he continued and he said, this cup, this cup represents the blood that I will shed, that he would shed for the forgiveness of our sin. He says, take this cup and drink in remembrance of me. I don't know what you came through the door with this morning. But there is a creator. There's someone who gave you breath. And he came to earth. He came after you. To give you a joy and a purpose and a hope. That no one can take away. You know what cynicism is? We'll end with that. You know what cynicism really is? It is the complete absence of hope. It's the belief that things won't get better. People... Things are going to get better. Might be a mess getting there, but things are going to get better. And we will be with him. Amen. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.